Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 218. This week, we talk with Jeremy Lickness about career tips, VS Code remote extensions, phishing with Inception, and use this one simple trick to put iPhone 4s in your ears. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week we have Jeremy Lickness, a cloud advocate at Microsoft and a professional developer for 25 years. How's it going, Jeremy? It is going great. I'm uh, definitely not feeling the weight of 25 years today, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a that's a that's a decade and a half. It takes what 10 years to be an expert at something. So you were a double and a half expert. That's right. Instead of branching out to something new, I just decided to double up on <laughs> on development. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's good though. And Carl, uh, so build is what I would say is next week, but this episode will probably go out during build. Yeah, so, we'll so if so, uh, if you're going to build, you're probably not going to hear this episode till it's too late. Well, they're because, listening. They're listening at build right now. Yeah, I, I I think they might be listening to the exciting content. Is what I would hope. <laughs> but uh, actually, all three of us are going to be at build uh, on Monday through uh, Wednesday of next week. So that's pretty exciting. We'll all have a chance to be there in person. Absolutely, Absolutely. I'll be out on the uh, TypeScript JavaScript booth on Monday and Tuesday. So if you're Looking for me there. Swing by that booth. Be happy to show you some demos and and chat shop. That's really cool. And I'll be all over the place. So the best place to find me is at the podcast booth. But if we're recording, maybe don't bang on the walls. You can walk by and wave or wait for us to come out. <laughs> but we'll wave back. Yeah, I know. And 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 uh, also, if you don't see us there, uh, you can also pick up some stickers at the Raygun booth. They'll be there as well. Absolutely. Exactly. And they actually agreed to it. On the last episode, I said we'd give them to them, uh, not knowing if they'd agree to that, uh, but they graciously said that they will hold some stickers for us. So just ask them and they'll hand them over. And then speaking of stickers, what's the story there, Carl? Yeah, if you want stickers, uh, I've been emailing out a ton, or not emailing, actual mailing, <laughs> physical mailing. Wouldn't that be like the best joke? You know, people like, you know, they send you an email, they're like, can you send me stickers? And you just send them like pictures of stickers. I'll, like, here I'll you give go. them the PDF. <laughs> but yeah, if you put stickers in the subject line of an email and write your name and address in the body, we'll send you some stickers. It's that simple. And uh, yeah, I think last week I sent out like 30 uh Really? Of emails. Yeah. Wow. Does this get easier if someone just invents like a uh, LED cover that allows for digital transfer of stickers and then they're easier off and on? Do you think we could work that out with today's technology? You mean like a, like a sticker printer that's remote? No, no. Like an LED sheet that you put on the outside of your laptop. Oh. Oh. And then you have some sort of near field recognition that'll transfer a sticker to it. Then you just use touch to place it, and maybe exactly. I'm thinking big, but dude, no. we need to talk to our hardware makers. That's a great idea. Well, I'm thinking an LCD screen. I mean, the the screen has two sides. A color OLED. Yeah. So what you could do is you could just flip between them, but what you could do is uh, polarize each side so that they're polarized differently, and then you can have a different picture. No, on each side. not not OLED. Uh, what, what's the technique that uh, the Kindles use? E ink. Uh, e ink. Color e ink. E ink. Yeah. Sure. 
Well, that works too. That would be awesome. All right. <laughs> so any, we're, that's we're probably more feasible than my crazy out. idea. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Double the cost. Yeah. Last week we mentioned that we would grab a review for the comment of the week off of iTunes and. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, uh, coding underscore seven 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 underscore seven 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 sent in a, a review saying "great podcast for developers," and he gave us five stars. Uh, so thank you, coding seven 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 seven. That's all it takes to get on the show. And if you want to get mentioned on the show, just like them, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, Comment on our website or on Twitter. We especially love these five star iTunes reviews. I just realized the year says 2018, so I don't know if that's... Oh, we missed that? We I don't know if that's an error year. or... <laughs> I mean, this guy's lucky, though. He got all sevens or girl. I guess I have no idea. Um, but whoever this is, they are they are lucky because they won twice. <laughs> but yeah, it says 2018. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, congrats. Oh, thanks, Jason. Yep. <laughs> I screwed up. I'll take responsibility. At least we followed through with our promise because we never break a promise. <laughs> so okay cool so let's move on to the news because we have some cool stuff to talk about this first one is just mind-blowing and and i it's oh, it's just awesome um let me see if i can read i don't even know what the title is here but basically uh it's remote development for vs code um so that you can there's three different modes there's ssh containers or wsl i don't know if you want to explain this carl or if you want me to take a stab at it no, absolutely. I'll take a stab at it. So what you can do is you can have your local instance of VS Code and you can remote into either uh, a virtual machine, a container, or another box via SSH and get the environment that's there. So if you don't have Python on your machine, you might have a container where that's set up. You can actually use VS Code, go in there, and being able to use like the VS Code language uh extensions to get like your full IntelliSense and all the goodness that you get, uh, plus, uh, run it in that environment. So you don't have to be running that locally, but VS code is local. And I think the terminal, I think, I, I think the terminal is also hooked up. And, uh, so basically the, the use case here, this is why I I'm just so excited about this because, you know, like I, I was at a hack fest one time and we were trying to, I was trying to do something with Python and so I'm on a Mac and I think you get like two seven by default and they're like, Oh no, you need three six or three seven. So, and I, I'm not a Python guy. So I'm, I apologize if I'm, if I'm messing this up, but I ended up like, it just didn't work. And I ended up like nuking Python on my Mac, which is like very bad because it uses it. Anyway, long story short for a year, my machine just been kind of messed up with Python <laughs> and what would have been so much easier is fire up this Docker container, which is basically Linux with Python installed point VS code at that. And now my local environment has nothing to do with what I'm working on at all. Other than the files are local, my, my source code files, but I'm able to sit there and edit, run, build all that kind of stuff in that Docker container, which is, which is just amazing because it's a, it's an isolated environment that has Python correctly installed and it will run conceivably the way it's going to run in production because I'm probably going to run it a Python thing, you know, on Linux in production. So this is just awesome. This is the way that it should be. And now like, I mean, the, the, the operating system that you're actually running, like doesn't even matter anymore. Um, just, it's it just, this is the way things should work. So this is awesome. Have you tried this, Jeremy? Uh, I have, I've been setting it up actually this morning. I've got mm-hmm. the installation on windows subsystem for Linux. I'm doing quite a bit with WebAssembly these days and there's some pretty mature tool chains that are Linux-based tool chains 
So being able to have my full Windows-based code experience, but mounted on that Windows subsystem for Linux means that I can edit with IntelliSense and everything I'm used to from code, but I drop to the shell and I'm using the native tool chain that I set up to compile and build. So it's, yeah. it's working out great. So does the ter- do you know if the terminal in VS Code hooks into the WSL then? It does. It does. Yeah. Okay. So awesome. you're running in the context of WSL from that term. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think this is this is just this is really just mind blowing to me. I mean, this is the way it should work. And then if I if I screw up my environment somehow, I just nuke it. And they give you uh, a whole pile of uh, um, operating systems, uh, basically a Docker image. You can set up your own, but they give you a whole bunch by default. Uh, there's one for Node, Python, Go, Java, .NET Core, PHP, Rust, and uh, C++. And uh, did I not? Oh yeah, Node was the first one I typed in there. So this is great. There was a there was another comment I was gonna I was gonna make on the. Oh, I remember. So uh, you know, I've actually thought about like the fact that so much you know so much stuff is going to Docker and Docker runs on Linux, so Linux is running on the server. It's been you know, making me be like, Hey, I should be running Linux on a desktop because then there's just no impedance mismatch. Like I can literally, I'm, I'm on the, the system that runs Docker and then you have no overhead and everything is wonderful. Uh, but this totally solves, I mean, this gives you no reason to do that. Then you get the best of both, whatever operating system you're running Mac or windows, you get all the tooling and I can run audacity and all that good stuff. And, and I can run final cut pro or whatever, but then I can also get the, uh, uh, the Linux based stuff, which is, which is awesome. So I'm, I'm just, you can probably tell I'm excited about this. Well, and not only that, like you mentioned, there's a lot of times where the tool chains, you can't do side by side installs with some of them. Right. And that right. lets you keep that separate and they don't get messed up. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if, if, if I'm running Python like two six and then somebody said, no, you need to be running three seven. Okay. Nuke recreate, you know, Oh, 10 seconds has elapsed. And now I'm running this new version of Python. Like how cool is that? So very cool. Any other comments on that? Should I move on? Okay. The inception bar, a new phishing method. <laughs> yeah. So on Android in Chrome, there's a new feature for that browser that as you're browsing through a site, it's going to start hiding the URL bar at top. And, you know, that's done to give you a little bit more room to make your experience a little bit nicer. But of course, people on the internet had to go and ruin that. Uh, <laughs> this Website, if you go to it on a mobile browser, even it'll work even if you have an iOS device or, you know, something else. It'll show that people have found ways that, uh, you can pretend to make or display something that looks like a URL bar, but totally lie about where it's at. Hmm. And the problem is, is this is a, does two things. One, you could, uh, pretend to be a different site that you're not. Uh, I think the exact example that it shows is, uh, from a bank. So you could make it look like you're on a banking site, start typing in your credentials. Now that site can grab your actual bank credentials. It knows that you're trying to go to that particular bank and they can there then go in there and do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty scary. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I always had this idea. This was like in, in, in college, I had this idea because, you know, you, uh, whenever you log into windows, right, you get like a login screen and people were typing in their username password. They walk up and they type it. And I'm actually still paranoid about this today, but I, I was always thinking, I'm like, why doesn't somebody write an app that looks like the login screen? And back in the day, there was, there was the way that it was prevented, right? As you hit control alt delete. So even if you were running an app that looked like the login screen, that would kick you out. And of course that's gone these days. So I don't know how nobody is using that attack, but 
you know, I walk up to my computer and I see, you know, just the login screen and I hit the button, hit a button to like, you know, sort of get rid of the, the regular screen. And then it gets to the login screen and I type in all my secret information happily. So I'm surprised this, this just reminds me of that whole vector of attack, making it look like something else. And then people type in their secret information. So, yeah, because, yeah, the next screen off of the, after this could be the login. If they whatever site they go to, it presents a login and now you have that login. It's just it's crazy. So I don't know how we get around this. Um, he actually has some suggestions in the article. I know um, I'm guessing these will get implemented because this looks this looks like a nasty attack, honestly, because a lot of people will fall for this. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Yep. OK. Uh, Wazi, a system interface to run WebAssembly outside the web. <laughs> Is that just yeah. assembly? <laughs> No. <laughs> well, the, the problem is you want to be able to write your whatever your code is and then have WebAssembly use that native JavaScript binding to execute that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is an initiative to, let's say, have WebAssembly system interfaces with things that aren't browsers uh, where you can run that same code, not only in the browser, but now outside. And, you know, one thing to remember is there's there's already been tools out there like Inscripten that have been able to take JavaScript and, and run those outside the browser. So when we think about, like, what are the concerns when we're no longer in that sandbox of a browser? You know, we have to worry about uh, security and uh, portability and making sure that it's consistent across all these different environments. So uh, people are starting to think, what is this going to look like once we are taking the huge momentum that people are pushing behind web? assembly and uh you know start pushing them into new technologies that don't involve browsers mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and the the beautiful thing about the the web assembly approach i know some people uh, ask haven't we been there before and done this before but web assembly defines just a really lightweight stack-based machine it doesn't define a runtime so there's not that overhead of a dotnet runtime or a java runtime or a go runtime it's pure code executing on the stack so you can have much lighter weight deployable binaries and much closer to the native experience with that. So I think it's, it's what we've been trying to do for the past 20 years done the right way. And I think we're going to see a lot of momentum around this. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. Very cool. Uh, let's see here. Apple AirPods H1 chip system on a chip has the processing power of an iPhone four <laughs> in each ear. <laughs> so, you know, to me, this is like really mind blowing because my first iPhone was, uh, what was that? Like seven, eight years, nine years ago, somewhere around there was the iPhone four. Mm. When uh, I was at work, we got, uh, you know, assigned an iPhone and, you know, I thought that was, you know, at the time that was just a really cool device, even cooler than they are today in some ways. Uh, but now that you think about it, you know, I have these tiny, tiny AirPods and they even show if, if you go to the show notes here, the pictures of like an, uh, an AirPod taken apart. Yeah. And just kind of like unraveled what the guts look like. There's like almost nothing to this. And so it has, you know, it has Bluetooth five. It's 12 square millimeters in size. <laughs> it's got a system on a chip, an audio codec, uh, an accelerometer, actually a three axis accelerometer. In addition to that, a regulator, a data converter, microphones. I mean, there's just so much going on in here. <laughs> and what, and what were all those chip? Yeah, what were those like phones back in the day, like four or six hundred dollars somewhere in that range? <laughs> yeah. And now we get two of them in our ears for hundred and sixty dollars. Yeah. As an accessory. Yeah. Yeah. And they boot <laughs> and they boot pretty quick. 
So there's some kind of magic going on there, of course. But I, I guess they're not. I mean, they're not running this. Yeah. Obvi- yeah. So it's the they're, it's. So we're talking about the the computational ability. Yeah, and, and obviously it's doing very focused things where it's just you know converting audio, mm-hmm. uh, taking that you know the inputs from the microphone, doing smart switching, Bluetooth. It's it only has a you know very small subset of the tasks, mm-hmm. and it can be very optimized for that. But considering the package, the battery size that it has to work with, uh, the efficiencies that it has to run with, it's still an amazing uh, you know accessory where we are at the state of the art high end you know accessories. Yeah, it's very purpose built. Yeah, mine, I have the first gen and there's the second gen, which are not, not too exciting, but of course, for whatever reason, my first gen seemed to be like not working as good. I don't know if it's planned <laughs> obsolescence or what, but like I, I, ha- I was on a call the other day, for example, and I put both of them in and like they both activated and then only one worked. And I, for the life <laughs> of me, I kept, you know, like put it back in the case, like close the case and I'm like, come on, just work. Like, so I think it just had like a boot error or something. <laughs> so they, it started working the next day, but then, you know, there's like that lag and I know the, the new ones are better at that, but Yeah. Yeah, it's impressive technology. This is talking about the new ones, right? The this is that's the H1 chip because the first one was I can't remember what that chip was called. So okay, cool. So let's uh, let's talk to Jeremy because we have some uh, we have some really cool questions to ask you, um, and we want to hear about your experiences because you've talked about uh, um, some of these things in the past. You know, basically focusing on career, focusing on life. How do you balance the two? Those types of things. So, um, what, one thing that, that when, when I was reading some of your work, um, you had wrote that, um, you have a better time dealing with imposter syndrome now. And I think we all have imposter syndrome at, at some point or another, but you said you have a better time dealing with imposter syndrome now because you focus on the audience. So like before a talk, uh, so can you expand on that a little bit? I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Sure. I mean, when I really look at it, the imposter syndrome I have comes from, what if I mess up? What if I look stupid? What mm-hmm. if I fall short? Right. And that's a me, 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 me type approach. Right. And the, the epiphany I had was ironically, I went to a user group meeting, gave a presentation. And then afterwards they had a, a sort of happy hour after the user group meeting, went to the local pub, sat down, grabbed some beers and um, everyone was sitting around chatting and we started picking different technology topics and everyone got really passionate with sharing their thoughts about it. And someone was, I'm looking into this and someone else was, Oh, I've done that before. Here's how you do that. And it just sort of dawned on me that this is the whole reason why I get up and talk at user groups or conferences or whatever it is. It's to share that knowledge. It's that information. And it's, it's not about me looking good or being great or, or being perfect even. It's about if you're sitting in the, in the audience watching me, are you going to pick up something new? Is it going to help you? Is it going to empower you? Is it going to take that, that next step? And obviously I can reach a lot more people in front of an audience or if I record a video than I can if I just go around and talk to people individually. So why is it we let our guard down in those conversations and we mm-hmm. feel less vulnerable, but when we get on the stage, we, we feel more. So, and it's not a, a perfect solution because it is a different environment, but that's how I started thinking about it. So when I am getting ready to talk, I, I just did, I was at Codestock and did a, a opening keynote for Codestock, which is the first time I've done one at a conference that large. I did some local, uh, local code camp, which was a great experience too, but standing in front of, you know, a thousand people, 
looking at this and what I did was looked out at the audience and said, you know, do I have something of, of value? Can I share something that can make a difference? And even if it only impacts two people, you know, that's two more people than I would have otherwise been able to connect with. So that really helped me, you know, get over that hump of the initial adrenaline rush, stand up and deliver the talk. And, you know, looking at the, the feedback uh, a few people said, you know, some dry-winded, long, boring, old dude throwing retro gaming knowledge that has nothing to do with me out. But for the most part, people were connected with and everything was good. You can't reach everyone all the time. But but that's what I mean when it's really not not about me. The the fear and the adrenaline is because I'm making it about me, but but what I'm doing is is not. And if it is, then I'm I'm doing it for the wrong reasons, I believe. Yeah. Those are all, those are all great points. I, yeah, I, I get that, that same imposter syndrome. I, I like that thinking about the audience. Do you ever in your mind though, like I, what happens to me is I get this like meta, um, what do you call like perception of like what's going on? <laughs> it's like, I'm not, I'm not talking to the audience anymore. I'm like, watching myself give a presentation to the audience. Has that ever happened to you? Oh yeah. I've, I've absolutely done that where I've been in, in the talk and I've been going through and then all of a sudden you get that kind of disconnect and it's like, yeah. wow, that was just really long winded. Like, Do I still like, have that yeah. attention? Am yeah. I- For me, it's like an out of body experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that certainly happens. And, and for that, I just try to, to, to bring it down. I try to be self-aware and is this one of those periods where I'm on autopilot? Do I need to bring emotion back into it, make it real again? You know, pull myself back to the ground yeah. and 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 keep going. But I mean, I'm I'm going to be honest too. I, I I would be uh, disingenuous if I I didn't say doing this a lot over a long period of time. It definitely gets better because you're more used to. You know, I think every time you finish a talk and you realize no one threw tomatoes at you, you're still alive and and people are still your friends. It just builds a little bit more strength so the next time you can kind of tap back into that. In fact, someone even told me, they gave me this advice, which I haven't followed yet, but they said, do you know that rush you get after you're done with a talk that you feel went really well? Make a recording. Talk to yourself. Say, man, I feel really great, or woman, I feel really great, or whomever, right? And and this was a, a rush, and it's exciting, and everything's okay. And then when you're in front of that next talk and the nerves are starting to to uh, creep in, play that back. Yeah, This is where you're going to get to because <laughs> at awesome. the end of the day, we get in our own head, right? False evidence appearing real, the definition of, of fear. It's, it's that what if. And ironically, most of the times I've quote unquote messed up in a talk is because I was so nervous about messing up that right, I messed exactly. up in the talk. It's chicken yeah. and egg syndrome. It's like the the person who's graduating and it's like, don't trip on the stairs. Don't trip on the stairs. <laughs> exactly. Fall on their face. And it's like, no, that's what I didn't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the biggest, you know, takeaway from this is just to be aware of the imposter syndrome and, and happening. So you can sit there and, and correct it. You know, I, I had a very similar experience just yesterday, except that instead of me doing something, it was me sitting in the room, not doing anything. You know, I was in front of an area where people were talking at a very deep level about these open source technologies that I had never done in. And it was one of those scenarios like, man, I came here to be the representative for Microsoft to give advice. And I'm sitting here feeling like the stupidest kid in the classroom. And, you know, it was, I had to step back, become aware, like, Hey, I'm not the stupidest person here. I just don't know this one thing that they're talking about. 
I can right. still, I can still be impactful. I can still be great. But this one thing, that guy over there, he's the expert. He's the guy who's got to be taking this over. Yeah, it's like that that interview advice. You get that question about that that area that you're not strong in. It, it, it's okay unless it's the key area that you're interviewing for, right? <laughs> but you know, we're more interested in how do you reason about it? How do you work through it? What is kind of your outside perspective? You don't have to be the expert all the time at, at all things. And I would argue that there's nothing that I am the expert at. There's things that I have stronger awareness of, but my unique experiences are, are mine own. And they're always going to relate to people in a certain way. And that's the case with everyone. Just because I'm into functions or WebAssembly and other people are, they're experimenting, taking different approaches. They have a different set of experiences going into it. So they're going to get a little bit of a different result, perspective, and outcome. So that's another piece that I remind myself is that my story is uniquely mine. It doesn't make it better, but it is different and it will connect with people in a different way. Mm Mm-hmm. So you have a, a presentation. I actually don't even know the title of it. Hack Your Career, I guess is what it was called. This is this is a presentation from the We Rise uh, Tech Conference. Yes. And I thought this was great um, because you have a whole bunch of spe- very specific things in here. So the first one, and I just kind of, if, if you don't mind, I kind of like to go through these. So the don't first, mind at all. Yeah. So the first one was stop doing what you're told. I figure we just talk about each each one of these here. Sure. So so that was the the We Rise was was an awesome opportunity, by the mm-hmm. way, because I got invited obviously as an, an ally to the the cause that they were doing there. And they they gave me a little bit of an opening to submit the type of talk I wanted to. And I always do technically focused talks. And I yeah. said, you know, let me step outside of my comfort zone. And not only do a soft skills talk, but do one as someone who is not necessarily the same demographic, makeup, background, whatever, from everyone in the audience and see if we can make a connection. And it went really well. It was an amazing group of uh, individuals at that, that conference and uh, had a good experience. And so, so the first one, you know, stop doing what you're told. I look at how much time I sort of wasted in the beginning of my career because I knew that I loved programming, and I went to college for a semester and for personal reasons ended up dropping out. And what I was told was that without a degree, I couldn't be a programmer. And I just listened to that. I didn't question it. I didn't research it. I didn't (laughs) tap into it. I just took it at at face value. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up doing a variety of, of other minimum wage jobs that, uh, you know, to buy some time to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And it was ironic because sort of through a different type of job, I made it into a company and demonstrated some of my technical skills and eventually worked my way up through the bottom into that that career path. And then I realized, hey, wait, here, look, I'm director of IT at one point over a company's entire systems, and they were a software company, so it was pretty important to have those systems up and running, and that was with no degree. So, and uh, there, there was a great conversation on on Twitter that um, that I think is is important is that you know not everyone has the same opportunities, whether they have a degree or don't have a degree. So we have to be sensitive to that. But I think fundamentally, if you look at blockers put in front of people. A lot of times people are told you can't do that or you need this to do that. And my point is that that's not always the case. And if you find that for whatever reason, you need to take a different path, take that path, fight for it. If you're passionate about it, carry it forward and don't just 
listen to the surface because there's people who have a limited view who may not understand other opportunities or they may feel threatened and they may be trying to close doors and it's important to get past that mm-hmm. and open up opportunities where they lie. Yeah, it's funny too because I have people come to me with like app ideas and probably 99% of the time I'm like, I, I don't, I say it nicer, but basically I'm like, that's a stupid idea. And I, I sort I always think back to like the pile of ideas that were brought to me and I'm like, Hmm, I hope a lot of them didn't listen to me. <laughs> you know, uh, right. I, I hope I didn't like end it at that point, you know? So I, you know, I don't want to be one of these people that's like, that's sort of cut, you know, m- m- telling people like you, you know, Hey, you didn't go to college. You can't do this. You know, I don't, I don't want to be like that. So I think I'm like going forward and be a little more self-conscious about that. Um, but you know, to your point as the, as the person listening to it, um, you should probably just stop listening to it and, uh, and figure out what you can do. Cause like all of the really cool stuff too, is like, I I've, I've had many times in my career where people are like, you can't do that or that's not how this is done or whatever. And I always, I just, I'm very Carl, Carl can attest. I'm just very resistant to that. And, uh, and you know, sometimes I fail, but you know, sometimes it, it works out in, you know, 10 times as good, uh, going down that path. So I think that's great advice. And then the second one here, don't assume anything. Yeah. That sort of ties back to the, the first, right? Yeah. So if you assume if I don't get a degree, but also is uh, I had a, a humbling experience that I was uh, looking to to change. Uh, I was at a company that was a startup that was very obvious to me was a sinking ship <laughs> and uh, we weren't bailing the water out fast enough. And so I, I started to look for another position. I went on probably several interviews, but the two that stood out, one was for a consulting firm. And they brought in the round table of experts because I, I put on my resume that I knew everything. I was a C, a C++, <laughs> a Java, anything that I had compiled a test project, I listed as experience, which in retrospect was the wrong thing to do, but it, yeah. it was early in my I know, career. I know how this is going to go down because everybody right. in the room is going to want to prove themselves, right? Right. So so I get attacked. <laughs> I'm sorry, interviewed at all angles <laughs> uh, dur- yep. during that, that process. And I thought I was doing pretty good, actually. I'm like, I had good responses, whatever. So I came home. I told my wife, that one's nailed. So we're just going to put that in our pocket as a, yeah, a definite maybe. <laughs> you know, once I, I get the offer, I'll, I'll see if I, I still want to go there. And then I went on this other interview for a company I ended up working at for five years. So I kind of gave away the, the punchline. Mm-hmm. It's the most important part of a joke timing, right? <laughs> but um, the, uh, the interview was with one of the founders and he had a really thick accent. So I had trouble understanding what he was saying. And he was asking me to how I would approach a solution to certain problems. And we had to go back and forth several times, mainly because of the communication barrier. And it was very frustrating to me. And I was came home and I said, I flubbed that interview and I assumed that I would be getting an offer from one company and a decline from the other. And it turned out exactly the opposite, right? It was the, the first company said, you know what, we appreciate your passion. You've got a lot of knowledge, but you need more experience. Come back to us in five, seven years and, and we'll do this again and, and see if you've uh, seasoned yourself, so to speak, a little bit. The other company said, when would you like to start? 
and uh, actually promoted me two weeks after I started with them. So it ended up being a, a launching pad. But I, I think assumptions are dangerous. A, a lot of what's happening in the industry today with the awareness that we're raising around being empathetic to other people is about not making assumptions about what people can or can't do. And I think it's important for people to do that with them themselves and not assume something's going to go a different way. Dig a little bit deeper. Learn the facts. I, I love the advice of always going one layer deeper on the technology you're learning. So when I learned Blazor, which is a amazing tool, but it's built on WebAssembly, mm-hmm. I decided to go one layer deeper and learn everything about WebAssembly. I don't want to assume what I'm given at face value about Blazor's correct. I want to know what's behind the scenes. And I think taking that approach can can carry you a long yeah. ways. And when it fails, it's going to be much more obvious what's going on. So you have a line right. in here that says, I hated Spanish. What was that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, I, I hated Spanish. I took it for, I was in an accelerated, like a college prep program. It wasn't a private school. It was a magnet program that we had in Florida. So it was, uh, you qualified for it and, and got to go. And they gave me five years of Spanish and four years. And the whole time I'm taking it, I'm thinking, what does this have to do with a career in technology? This is wasted time. And ironically, the uh, job that I got that was my first job that paid more than minimum wage was because I signed up for a minimum wage position at an insurance company, but I ticked the box that I spoke Spanish on the the uh, the application. And they said, we have another position that pays twice as much if you're interested in considering it. I'm like, yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. All I heard was the <laughs> dollars. I didn't catch the part that my interview would be in Spanish. But by some miracle... <laughs> I managed to pull off enough Spanish that uh, I got a pass uh, through that interview, and I started taking customer service claims in automobiles. So these are people who are in accidents who are agitated and speaking very quickly, Yeah, uh, calling in, doing customer service in, in Spanish. And you know what? I, I learned most of my Spanish actually doing that job because I learned, for example, with dialects, there's probably 12 different words for car. <laughs> five different words for license plate. So you have to know right. the, the different context. But but just that, again, assuming that, that Spanish would have nothing to do with my career, the only reason I have a career is because of Spanish, because it was that company that decided to take a risk on me and let me move into their IT department. That's awesome. Yeah. Aprendiendo Espanol. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, no, no puedo practicarlo mucho. Entonces necesito, uh, como se dice, encontrar... Uh, personas a quienes puedo practicarlo. So someone who understands Spanish will see me stumble through that and feel sorry for me and reach out and, and we'll have some more conversations. <laughs> I understood, so I I understood like 60% of that. So, so I Very can cool. get back into fluent because just watching it on TV, by the way, does not work for no, no. speaking it better. It helps understand. Yeah, you have to speak it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the next item that you had that you talked about was change your mind. But what are you thinking about there? Uh, change your mind is a pretty volatile topic, I think, today, because I, I see a lot of assertions, and, and I just disagree. It doesn't mean I don't respect people for that, and I'm not empathetic for it, but I hear people saying, I can't do this or I can't do that. And the most common thing is, uh, for example, I'm an introvert, and I will never be an extrovert. I can't change, so just leave me be and let me be myself. Now, I want to be very careful and say that this isn't about pressuring people into doing something that, that they're not willing to do. But I would say that if there is a desire to change, 
that there's a possibility that you can transform your habits and not necessarily change as a person, but break down some of those barriers in your your personality. And it all starts with your mind and, and your thoughts. And this is something that I learned early on in, in my career when I started my own business. I had no clue what I was doing, so I hired business coaches and got some great coaching. But some of the most impactful coaching was this notion of, of thoughts. And we have this dialogue all day long, and we think, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I won't do that. This is how it is. And I really was exposed to it initially with fitness and trying to change habits. Like you'll hear it all the time. I could never eat like that or I could never train like that. And that's true because words reveal sort of an insight. And I was a personal trainer for several years. And if someone said, I'm really going to try versus someone said, I am ready. Just those simple words would give me a lot of insights into how close they were going to stick with the program. Mm, yeah. But I, I thought it was a lot of nonsense. Hey, I can change my mind. Like I, but does it do or again, do not? There is no try. Right. Exactly. And, and so the, the first step is just being aware of your thoughts as they come up. And then the second step is changing them. If I have a thought, I'm going to be nervous for this talk. I quickly intercept that. This is my inner dialogue. Why? Do you have to be nervous? I mean, I know people are telling you you're supposed to be nervous, but do you really have to in changing those thoughts? And I'm not going to say that that suddenly makes it perfect. I have a, a nice fitness watch now that tracks my heart rate. And even the talks that I feel like I'm 100% confident going into, my heart rate doubles, right, before I step on stage. But I was able to change those thoughts, get out of my comfort zone, get up in front of people and start Taking on challenges, and this is sort of my thermometer for opportunities in life. If something scares the bejeebies out of me, we'll put it that way. If something just frightens me because it's unknown, I know that's something I need to commit myself to and push through that that fear because it's going to create major change in my life. But it, it took a long time. So the, the bottom line is I do believe people can change their thoughts and their inner dialogue. This isn't saying that if you have depression, that you should go off medication and just change your mind. It's not saying that at all. Mm -hmm. It's saying if you have patterns and habits that are part of your inner dialogue and you're aware of that, you can change your mind, change your thoughts over time, and change your outlook. Yeah. For, for me, I like to like equate this back to sports because a lot of times, it doesn't matter what sport you follow, that like, this is my team. My team is right. They're the best. Go team. And all the other teams <laughs> suck. Yeah. And when bring it back to this, like these are my thoughts. These are the thoughts that I created. They're my babies. They're the right. correct ones. And it it's just kind of taking a step back is why am I personalizing? Why am I anthropomorphizing these thoughts this way? Let me try this other thing and see how it works. And, right. you know, I, I really think that a lot of people do get stuck into, the, you know, even if they're not personally sports fans, like in, in a lot of the world, we have so much of a sports culture that, you know, we end up getting, you know, taking those concepts and applying them everywhere a little bit mm. uh, haphazardly. So being able to break free from, you know, those mental silos and, you know, just looking at some of these, especially technical issues from uh, multiple issue, uh, sides is really huge because, you know, even though I really like certain technologies like C sharp, C sharp can't do everything. Sometimes you're going to need to go to a different language, a different tech stack to really, you know, elegantly solve a certain problem. Yeah. This is one thing that Carl is amazing at, by the way, you can, you can say like, Hey, could you help 
do this thing over here, no matter what it is. And he's always like, yeah, why not? You know, like (laughs) his attitude and like trying something that may be like totally frightening, like, Hey, can you go over here and, uh, and help Sacha with like, you know, this issue he's having on his computer and he'd be like, Oh yeah, well, of course I I can do that. I don't know how to fix it, but I'll go try. And, uh, so that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. And I would, I would say just as a TLDR, you know, too long to read, uh, when I gave my first presentation for work that I had to, to give uh, 20 some odd years ago, um, I, I couldn't talk. I locked up in the front and I still remember clear as day the look of pity on the eyes of the people in the front row as they watched me struggle yeah. to get started. And I was that person who would look at my shoes if I was out in public places. I'd just feel terrible. And you know what? I don't go to the mall just to people watch anymore. I'm not talking about that type of change. But if I'm at the airport and I'm getting ready to go on a flight and someone smiles and says, hi, I smile back and and have a conversation now. And I didn't used to do that. And that's all part of changing my mindset, my thoughts and the the way I approach things. And and I have a lot more fun now Mm -hmm. that I've gotten a little bit out of my shell and and opened up. Yeah. That's especially useful at conferences. And I will say that uh, people that are just getting into this field, don't be afraid to do that. Like this is not advice just for us old guys. Like, uh, you know, there's a, there's a girl on my team. She, she was a, she was an intern. She's been on the team. She's just amazing. And it's, it's funny. Cause she did like a, she did a presentation recently and then she's like, how was that? And I'm like, you know, I really didn't think about how it was. Cause I just thought of you as, as if, as if you've been doing this for 20 years, like it was, right. it didn't stand out in my mind at all. Like, don't be afraid to do those things. You know, we want to hear your ideas. We want, you know, go out there and do that presentation. Even, even if you've been doing this, like if you're just new to the, to the job, like some of the, the most impressive, uh, presentations I've actually seen were from interns, you know, so they, they're just fresh out of school. They're like struggling through this entire project. And then at the end of it, it's their turn to like explain what they did and they just blow me away. Right. So it requires like no zero experience. Everybody can do this. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it doesn't even have to be that big as like doing a presentation. Like when you talked about conferences, you know, some of the very first conferences that I went to, like I, the one thing that I did to step out of my shell was have lunch with people I didn't know. Yeah. That's right. Still and, scary. And, and I'm still, <laughs> I'm still friends with some of those people at those first conferences that I just ate lunch with or yep. ate breakfast with. And it, it's really, really cool when you can, you know, go to a conference just once a year and, you know, you have, you have unpaused a a relationship with somebody because that's the one time a year that you see them. Yep. Yep. And that's uh, definitely something I did a two-phased approach. Phase one was don't go to the table with the people I know, go to an empty table and see who shows up. Then I realized, wait, (laughs) I'm making that about me now. So phase two was go to the table that has that one empty seat and walk up, is this seat available? Mind if I join you? Right. That's, that's harder than going to the empty table, but yeah. it's okay to do it in phases, right? Don't don't uh, eat, eat the elephant, so to speak. Uh, take it in, in stages. But I love that advice. If you just sit with uh, someone new at a conference over a lunch, it's amazing the connections you can make. I've got friends that go back 10 years that I only see once a year at a conference in a certain place that's not even in my hometown. Yep, know? exactly. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. 
Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes. Dramatically improve the online experience of your users. So the next one, your fear is your compass. Yeah, I alluded to that a little bit earlier yeah. of, uh, you know, when when there's something that, that makes me nervous. I mean, th- there's a lot of things that fear is built around, but reality is is not one of them. And, and there's healthy fears, right? Fear of like sticking your hand in the fire because you'll be burned. We're not talking about that. But really fear of doing new things and unknown. People seem to get this concept of, for example, when I'm weight training, if I flex a muscle and work it over time, I'm not going to see gains overnight. But if I stick to it and I'm consistent, I can gain strength, maybe muscle size. It's that way, I believe, with fear as well. Because when you start out, there's so much unknown and there's so much fear of of what could go wrong. But then you do something and you feel that sense of accomplishment and you incrementally overcome your fear a little bit. I remember that I used to be terrified of something as simple as skiing, just, you know, what if it goes wrong, if I fall over, if I hurt myself, overcoming the fear of starting my own business and and um, not doing well at that at first and then learning and, and coming through that made me start to feel, wow, maybe I can do this over here. And I remember, it's a weird memory, but I remember going up a ski slope. This is in South Dakota. I lived there there briefly when I had my, my internet-based business. And I got on the top and I looked down the slope and I just felt a rush. And I'm like, this is going to be a fun run. And I went down and it was just so exhilarating. I had so much fun because the entire time going down the slope, I was thinking about how amazing it was where I was and not how afraid I was of messing up and, and falling. And then I started to take that to areas of my career. So someone, hey, Jeremy, you want to present here? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that that's huge. I, I don't know if I can do it. I'm like, that's the one I need to sign up for because I need to put myself in those uncomfortable positions to get better at gaining experience and, and pushing through the unknown. So it's that Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just say yes to everything. <laughs> yeah, not not quite that that yeah. frequently. Well, yeah, I well, think, yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get to the corollary to that one. <laughs> but but I, I do, um, uh, you know, even just the the keynote I did recently. That my first thought when I was invited to do it was, oh, this is huge. This is a major conference. I've been going to it for twelve years. It kind of sets the tone. I can't do that. And then I was like, that's exactly why I need to do it. I need to, to tackle yeah. it and, and take it on. It's a great opportunity to grow as a person, but also to connect with people in unexpected ways. And they gave a little twist. My daughter was with me for that uh, weekend, and she said, I want to see you. I, I never see you like do your talks. I see you practice them at home, but I want to see you. So she came out, and at the last minute, the organizer said, hey, do you want to introduce your dad? And she said, yeah, that would be great. So she stood up. And with no preparation, gave like a little two-minute blurb just talking about growing up with me. And my daughter got to introduce me for a talk. It was one of the most (laughs) special moments that I never would have had if I hadn't, you know, said yes. Yeah. So the next one that you're talking about was getting out of your own way and being genuinely you. Yeah. This is one that uh, came up a lot. I'm talking specifically on, on two fronts that I can think of as examples one is when uh, I was learning about selling, when I had my own business, and of course you have to sell. And it turns out everyone sells every day in their life, 
The reason why they don't like to say that is because selling has a negative connotation because the traditional selling techniques are be this person, be something you're not, say something this way. And the other example is like when you're interviewing for something, project this air of confidence. And the reality is, are you a confident person or not? Be yourself because if you're someone else in that interview and then you get hired, eventually you're going to have to be you, not that persona that you adopted for the interview. You're going to have to be you. Everyone's going to have to interact. And if they're not hiring you for genuinely you, there's an issue. So the same thing with with selling. I learned that to be effective, I had to get over this notion that selling had to be fake. First off, if I'm giving you something, does it have value? And if I don't believe it has value, why am I trying to give it to you? Yep. And if it does, then let me be genuine. But I think this this goes for presentations and for a lot of other things. I can look at someone like I'm just going to name names. Scott Hanselman is a great entertaining presenter. And I could look at him and say, I want to be like Scott Hanselman. But the reality is that's not my personality. I'm not going to be a Scott Hanselman. And I may never have that comedic effect or be as entertaining or whatever. I just need to be me. And who I am is someone who's just super passionate about development and super excited to share it. And so that's what I focus on in my talks. And, and you know, I when I'm writing a talk, I, I'm passionate about retro gaming. I've obviously been in the industry for a long time, and I used to be afraid to put those things in my talks. But I'm like, that's a part of what I am. It's what I have fun with. So not everyone's going to relate, but let me come out. And I think that is just so important in, in life and in interviews and presentations and everything we do to just be ourselves because everyone is so unique. And it's okay to be, you don't have to force yourself into someone else. Now you can practice things like being more confident, not stumbling this and that, and just grow as a person, but don't try to project or be someone you're not just to get a position or just to have a persona when you're on stage, for example. Yeah. I I really like this advice in contrast to the one before it, because let's just say that you went out of your way to, you know, not be afraid and you took a promotion, you're now leading a team instead of being part of a team. I think the easiest thing to get caught up in is that phrase that you mentioned, fake it until you make it. Right. And, And that's the quickest way to fail a lot of times. A lot of, we hear that constantly from everybody in every industry. That's just a phrase that goes around, but being yourself and taking the challenge as a genuine challenge, as well as being yourself in the process really is what makes you grow. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, the next one is raise the signal to noise ratio in your life. <laughs> this is one that uh, came up a lot uh, when I was personal training. So I would do, I, I had an internet-based business. So the way I did it, I did some in-person training, but a lot of it was internet-based coaching packages. So I would set up a program and I was a certified nutritionist. So I'd have the nutrition side, the training side, and then we'd have touch points. And this was years ago. So there was no Skype. So we would get on the phone and have a consulting session at the end of each week and review the week. And it'd be very funny because I would talk to people and they would say, yeah, I just didn't have time. To, to do this. I didn't have time to prepare my meals. I didn't have time to, to do this workout. And then we get to talking and um, so what are your you know plans this week? Well, you know, I've been watching <laughs> Game of Thrones is something people are watching, yep. right? Or I've been watching this show and, and I don't want to miss the episodes and I'm going to this movie and, and basically I'm like, okay, so 
So your issue isn't a time issue, it's a priority issue. And, and it's, there's nothing wrong with prioritizing funding in your life. That's, that's not the message I'm giving. But when I stepped back and looked at what I did from the moment I woke up to the moment that I went to sleep, I realized there was a lot of noise. There was a lot of, uh, as a fitness trainer, getting on forms and proving myself right. You're wrong. That's not the right way to do things. This is right. There was a lot of distractions. There was a lot of watching things that really weren't helping me get to where I, I wanted to as an excuse to procrastinate. And so the idea is to really focus on things that add quality and add value. value. And to, to break down what you're doing and remove the things that don't make sense. Like you, you'll find that um, my online presence, I'm very, um, it's not that I'm not contra- confrontational, that I don't believe in certain things, but I've learned to be more careful about if I jump into this discussion, will it have an impact or not? Because if I'm just jumping in to have skin in the game and, hey, I'm going to prove my point and jump out, that's not going to help anyone because people are setting their ways, right? <laughs> and, and so I've just learned to, to from that, I've learned when I'm reading articles or blog posts or working on code projects, just to look at, you know, maximizing. If I'm doing a talk, can I turn the talk into an article? Can I turn it into a demo that can then be a component for another talk? How do I make the best use of my time and, and raise that signal and get rid of the noise and the drama, watching things that, that aren't going to help me, reading things that, that don't make sense for, for what I'm doing with my career. Yeah. One thing that I did recently, so I've talked about on the show how I've I've deleted like most of the social apps from my phone, which I think is kind of a common trend. I know a lot of people are doing that. But the kind of the next phase of that that I've done, um, Facebook was the one that was kind of driving me crazy. I did not want to uh, really see anything that anybody was posting, but I, there's a whole bunch of groups on there that I'm, I'm a part of, uh, because that seems to be like, I'm really nerdy about certain things like my truck and my jet ski and things like that. So like, I just, anything anybody's talking about in those topics, I want to read about it. Cause I just, I have to know like every detail about those things. So I didn't, I didn't want to delete Facebook cause then I lose access to those things. So what I found and in this maybe is obvious to everybody else, but I didn't realize this. Whenever you see somebody post something, there's a little dot, dot, dot. And then in that dot, dot, dot menu, there is unfollow. Um, so right. even if you're friends, he basically says, I never want to see anything from this person. Um, right. I basically have done that to everyone. Um, I think there's like, Jason. yeah, I, 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 I was going to say I have two or three exceptions and, and honestly, Carl, I don't know if you are in the exception list or not. And that, and that I, I just don't post anything. So. I know. And that's saying nothing about you. It's that is it is not, it has nothing to do. It's not a, it's not a call like that whatsoever, but I've, I've basically removed like any kind of noise. That's like, not like that. I, that's something that I, that's not going to like bring value to me. So again, I've, I've unfollowed almost all those people and then they don't have to feel bad about me, like unfriending them or whatever. I just don't see the stuff that they post and I'm still able to, to go use my groups and we can still be friends. And if I want to go look at like what you've been posting, I can still go do that. So that's just a, a tip for the the listeners there. Yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, the one thing that's made a big difference for me is, is stopping waking up and jumping on the news first thing. Mm-hmm. Because I really looked at it, at, oh, I want to be informed, but it really wasn't added value. Yeah. And a lot of times the news is negative, so that would set the tone for the day. So it's not that I stick my head in the sand, I'm not aware of personal events, but I, I wake up and I have routines that get me excited about what I'm going to accomplish that day, not 
hammer me down or make me feel frustrated or, or just start off with that angst, you know, cloud over my head. Ignorance is bliss, right? Exactly. <laughs> I know it's, it's obviously that's like such a, like, you know, polarizing statement, but you know, especially in with, with how like insane things have gotten these days, it it's like, it's a way of pseudo unplugging is to just like, I'm just going to ignore all of this stuff that, that, that sort of has an, a, a very indirect effect on me, especially like politics and things like that. But as far as my day to day stuff goes, I just, I'm not going to focus. I'm not going to put any energy into that. That way I have that energy to put into something else. Like, like you said, like exercise or learning something new or work or whatever. I'm just, that's where I choose to focus energy because everybody has the same number of hours in a day. So it's just, it's how you spend them. Yeah. I was just thinking that exact thought. So thanks for reading my mind and and speaking. (laughs) And I think that really flows well into the next topic, networking for real. Yeah. So the, the networking thing, it's so easy to talk about our social network. If you look at my social network, I'm way more popular than I am in in real life because I have <laughs> followers, right? Do you know but, who I am? <laughs> but who am I? I really engage with who who do I know? And what I found is that you know it can happen, but very rarely have I created a, a lasting relationship through making a connection online. It's the yeah. connections in person that are lasting and impactful and and make differences. And I think this gets back to, you know, some of the previous points, overcoming your fear, et cetera. But it's okay to connect with people on a a personal level. And it doesn't mean that you have to meet everyone you come across. But I do think that for people and in the context of the talk for your career, that making meaningful direct relationships can be impactful. I, I can tell you so many stories and I'll just focus on one. I had been at the company that I didn't think I was going to get a job offer for. It's the one where I didn't understand the founder. I was there for five years, left, did a bunch of other things. And then we come full circle. I'm three years into starting my own business, and and I didn't know what I was doing when I started. So the first year, I, I made a, a total revenue. This was all the income for my, my family. I had a wife and two children was $11,000 US the, the first year. So, I mean, fortunately, I had 401k and other assets that we yeah. sold off. I went into massive debt. A lot of things happened. So, by the third year, I had a successful business, but I had dug myself so far into debt. I was really thinking, you know, maybe there needs to be a different approach. And right when I was having that thought, I got a phone call. And it turns out that someone who had worked at that company so many years earlier had left to start a new company and his business partner wanted to get out. And he was, he was the the business side of things. His partner was the technology side and the technology person was like, Hey, I'm good. You know, I'm done. So he reached out to some people he knew at the company. And one of the other founders said, Hey, I remember Jeremy at the company and let's uh, reach out and see what he's doing. And I got this phone call out of the blue, hey, would you like to help us kickstart a new company? And that was a transformative moment because that company later went on to be sold for a, a pretty large sum to, to VMware. I left before that happened, but it gave me so much experience in building a company that I was able to take that into the consulting side of my career and gain experience from that. But that was all because of a personal relationship that I had created. I had joined that company when it was smaller, so I got to know the different individuals. But but that's more of a sort of feels like luck. 
But then you get into when I go to conferences and I take the time to go out and meet people and it turns out this person is leading this user group or is on the board for this conference, you just start to get people and it's, it's not a politics game. It's not about shaking hands and smiling. It's about creating genuine relationships. But through those relationships, when people need help, they reach out and it plugs you into opportunities you wouldn't otherwise had. It's a lot easier for me to say, Hey, let me reach out to uh, someone I know in Atlanta to talk about organizing a new conference than it is to just ping some people on Twitter and try to get a direct message back and make something happen. Yep. Yeah. And like you, like you said, I want to elaborate on that luck thing. You know, it, it's not luck. It's being, going back to your other stuff, being yourself, being you and just portraying that makes an impression on people. Uh, you know, the time that I learned what networking really was, was in college. Um, I had, uh, an assignment where it was a group project and we had decided to make this, you know, internet radio application. It was web-based. It was used databases and all that stuff. And we didn't have to actually make it play music, but because me and a few other people were so passionate about it, like we went out of our way, like, this actually played music over the internet and it was really awesome. And it was, and we got, yeah, I wish, <laughs> but the thing was like, like we were put together, you know, haphazardly, you know, we didn't necessarily choose to be together. I don't, I actually don't even remember. And after the class went over, I didn't really, you know, follow many of these people, but uh, later on, one of them got a job and uh, his new boss says, Hey, is there anybody else uh, from your school who is awesome? And, he recalled the good time we had together working on this project and being successful. And he says, Hey, you should talk to Carl. And I ended up not only getting an interview, but getting my first job in tech because of networking, being myself and working on a, a project and making an impression on people. Yeah. And I, I like to, I feel like it's really easy to get to me, me, me. And I, I talk about me a lot on this, uh, call, but it's there's opportunities when you network to lift other people and create opportunities for other people as well. I kind of joke about this, but the first time the Codestock organizers called me and said they wanted to talk about a keynote, I got really excited. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get invited for my... And I got on the call and uh, they were asking, could I help them find a keynote speaker? <laughs> and it was it was a great... And I say that jokingly, it was a great lesson for me because it, it was humbling in the true sense of of humbling that I got a little bit ahead of myself and it was yeah. perfectly reasonable request but here's the awesome thing uh you know enthusiastic yes I can help out reached out to some people made some connections and was able to give someone that opportunity and it was all because of that network I had actually one of the organizers had worked with me uh, actually worked for me on a project at a previous company, so knew that I had been involved with Codestock, but it was because of that real relationship. So there are a lot of opportunities we can open up for ourselves, mm -hmm. but it also can be a catalyst for opening doors. I mean, I get so many people reaching out, hey, I'm starting this new company. Would you like to go? I'm like, my startup days are, are done, yeah. but I know this person over here, and I can guarantee that if it's someone I know or have worked with or have uh, even create a friendship with over a conference and so I know the integrity of the person, it's real easy for me to say, talk to this person as opposed to if I see someone posting some blog posts on Twitter, you know, I'm not going to recommend them as the key person for because I know them. I don't know who they are and that's where that real relationship aspect comes into to play.
Yeah, I find that super satisfying too, especially whenever you know you hear back and they're like, "Oh, they were so amazing at that keynote," and you're like, "Yes!" Like I, to me, like I'd I'd rather I I would say I'd rather like recommend somebody and have them be like a super successful keynoter than for me to actually keynote myself. Right. Well, and and that experience that came out of it, I was so excited about the opportunity, but I was excited mm-hmm. about both opportunities, both giving it and being able to to set it up and and it transformed my outlook and now I'm like hey you know if if people need help let me help out you know and I've gotten invitations in the the past where it's you know what let's talk about some some candidates who who make sense for this especially if it's not I mean Codestock was the very first large conference I spoke at and I had been going for for so many years that it just felt kind of like home but there's other conferences where, um, hey, I know someone who's in the area, maybe more connected with the local community. There's just so many reasons that connecting those dots can can make a win-win for everyone. And, and then uh, let's just cover one more in the interest of time. Uh, this one I think is super important. It's just say no. <laughs> That's uh, it, It'll be interesting. Put, put, bring uh, some of my coworkers on to a podcast and ask them how they feel about that. No, I'm kidding. Well, I call this but, one under promise over deliver. <laughs> right. Right. And, and that's, it, it's so tough for uh, people in the career, especially in, in America. And I'm just going to speak to American culture because that's what I, I know more intimately, but I know there's still kind of this attitude or this sense of the hero coming in and saving the day and, oh, it's great if you're checking your emails at 9 p.m. at night. And, you know, I've been at those companies where the culture, you know, someone is watching down, sitting down, watching a football game, but they have their phone so that they can respond to emails so they can show that, hey, I'm up, even though it's adding no value. It's just that, hey, I'm here and it's nine o'clock. See, I'm I'm, I'm the hero. <laughs> and, and what I've learned is that that we're, we're all human and we will expand to fill the time and we're going to be much more productive if we take our peak periods, our peak productivity and focus on that and just say no to the stuff that's outside of that. And it's kind of ironic because I talked about overcoming fear and saying yes to things that feel uncomfortable. But if the reason why you're feeling uncomfortable isn't because it's unknown or something new to learn. It's because it's something tomorrow that's mega important and you have to prepare and drop other things and miss deadlines and just, just say no. It's, yeah. it's okay to push back. And I think, you know, there's a sense and that, you know, saying no in a job can, can get you fired. And it's a, a little, it might be a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Presumptuous to say that, well, you should be at a, a job that values you more to do that. So there's a, a nuanced line of understanding right. where you're at and what your options are. But I think more times than not, if you say yes all the time, people are going to know you say yes, and they're going to just keep coming and piling up. You have to know your own limit. You have to say no. Have a valid reason. Explain why. But I found that even though it may be frustrating to people at first, by pushing back, I'm able to control the size of the fire hose that I'm given because I'm still given a fire hose, but it's one that I can manage and I can point in the right direction. It's not one that overwhelms me and shoots me you know, down the road where sure. I'm completely lost. I, I think that's a bad analogy, though, because you, it, it implies that like all work is the same, that everything is just water. But that's not the case. Right. You know, the, the way it that's- works with with my team. Right. We, we get, you know, we'll have 80 hours of work that we have to do in 40 hours. 
Well, guess what? The work that we say no to is the work that doesn't make any sense. And I think I had this discussion with Carl once because, you know, I think we had like an account team and, and they, they wanted something that was like not our job. And like, you know, I, 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 I hate to say like, Hey, that's not our job. Like I don't, I don't want to be like that, but it, it was sort of an off the wall request. And I said, you know, well, Carl, what if, what if they asked you to wash their car? What would you say to that? And be like, you just be like, that's not my job. <laughs> like go away. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is sort of the same thing, you know? So we obviously want to be nice about it. Um, we're not just, you know, uh, but, but, you know, we, we, we can, we can always sort of flip this around too. like, Hey, I have, I have this work over here that is very important. This is what I need to focus on. And that means that I have to say no to the things that, that don't quite align with my expertise or what I'm doing. Well, well, I, I love that too, because you, you make that point so clear and I, I didn't architect articulate it nearly as, as well, but that, that notion that when I was with my startup, the, the first day that I, I joined, the CEO drove me to Ikea, picked out a desk, dropped me off at the loft, said, we're on the second floor, here's the keys, find a spot, build your desk. And he was really big on, you know, take out the trash and do this. And we did that because we were small mm-hmm. and taking it out. Now, obviously, I don't take out the trash at Microsoft, but I think it's something that someone will say, well, that's really arrogant. You're not helping out. And that's not, not the, the case at all. We have to look at, we have limited resources. Uh, mm-hmm. To your point, if you're in a team and there's four people on the team, one person knows Ruby, one person knows PHP, one person exactly. knows C, one person knows, you know, you want the Ruby person doing Ruby work. You can ask the C exactly. person, hey, you know what? I just need you to pick up a little Ruby and, and knock this out. But the, the value of their time is going to be diminished. So if we're looking at productivity, not activity, not people spinning their wheels, spending time, but what's actually coming out the other side of the pipe, you've got limited time. So if you're maximizing your time to do the things you're uniquely good at and saying no to the things, if five people can do a thing and you're the only person who can do another thing, you should be prioritized into that unique thing that you're good at and that is is a basis you know to to what you're saying for saying no to those other things it's not mm-hmm. no because i'm arrogant or i don't want to help it's no because it doesn't make sense yeah no, i like that analogy with the people and the or the devs and the languages that's pretty good okay and then um i saw this phrase that you'd use called eating the frog <laughs> <laughs> what what yeah. what's what is that what does that mean yeah, so I, I first learned it without context. I believe it was uh, uh, attributed to, to Mark Twain. I should really get my references a, a, a little better, but I learned it in the context of, of business coaching, and there's there's um, some, some programs around it and everything else. But in a nutshell, um, I follow something called the power of three. I've, I've shared that a lot of times, and, and there's a million things that I can do. There's probably less than a million things I'm supposed to do. But any given week, I really focus on three key things that are the most important things for me to get done for the week. And I do that every day. What are my three things today? Like one of my things today was to have the time and focus to be on this this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And so so basically eating the frog is, is just this. There's one of those things that you don't want to do that you're going to procrastinate that you don't like. I might be in a programming state of mind and I want to build stuff, but I have an article I have to write and I don't feel like writing stuff. Eating the frog means I sit down and I write stuff. I take the thing that I least want to do and tackle it first because that keeps me out of a loop of procrastination. And I can't tell you how much less stressful my life is 
since I started following that philosophy, because I was the typical, I don't want to do this, I'd push it off, push right, it off. Exactly. And then it was so stressful scrambling, because now not only do I still not like it, that doesn't change, but now I've got the pressure to deliver it in a compressed time frame. So I've really started to look at my day. That's not what I want to do. That's what I'm going to tackle first. I get it done. I feel great that I got it done, even though I didn't want to do it. And that just builds momentum into all the other things that I, I need to accomplish. Yep. And then you posted, um, I'm trying, I, I can't find it now for some reason. I don't know where it was, but you posted your schedule on like a daily schedule. Uh, and yes. uh, I, I had an honest question for you because um, I know that like the, there's, there's a lot of focus on like getting enough sleep these days, like eight hours. And I don't know how much you had in there. If it was like six and a half, are you getting enough sleep? I am getting just to, just to be sleep. perfectly blunt. Okay. So, so, so I want to tackle this as uh, put on my, my fitness trainer hat. Okay. So this advice went back. Uh, this was early two thousands when I had my fitness training business and everyone needs eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. And the reality is amazingly, just like some people have peanut allergies and other people don't, there's not, there might be an average number, but everyone's ability to recover it varies based yeah. on too many factors for us to list or plug into an equation. And so, uh, you know, I had a, a coach at the time who was very clear on you get the rest that you need for your body and, and maximize that. And unfortunately, some people need 10 hours of sleep, so it gives them less of a day to work with, but that's what they need. And, and some people, uh, this, this person operated off four hours of sleep and wasn't exaggerating. I mean, they were totally functional and, and doing that. I couldn't do four hours of sleep, but it was really something that stuck with me that he mentioned to calibrate you know, how much sleep you need is just don't wake up to an alarm. And that doesn't mean you don't set an alarm because we have commitments and schedules. But if my alarm's the thing waking me up, then I need to move my bedtime earlier so that I sleep through and I wake up before that alarm goes off. And that's what I do. I, I find that, that happy schedule. And for me, a uh, typical evening, it's like 10.30 or 11. And I might get up on some days at, at 5 in the morning if I'm going into campus. Other days I might, quote, sleep in till 7.00. But that really works well for me, and I consistently wake up. I'm not surprised by the alarm. And if I find out, you know, when I start training more intensely, the alarm starts to surprise me. I have a great dream, and I'm jarred out of it by the alarm. I'm like, okay, right. I'm not getting enough sleep. Time to, to dial that back. I guess I won't watch uh, Ninja Warrior tonight. I'll wait till the weekend. Yeah. Okay. That's I, that's that's pretty cool advice. Um, yeah. I feel like if I get less than eight hours, I'm just... It's not good. I just can't think the same way. Yeah, six to six to eight is fine for me. Sometimes on on the weekend, I'll, I'll catch up with a, a ten hour mm -hmm. marathon sleep. But for the most part, eight is is super comfortable, and then six is is very yeah. doable on a longer term for me. Yeah, it is funny though because I set my alarm for six, but then on the weekends, I usually wake up at six. So yeah, <laughs> I think it's I think it's the right time for me. So. Um, any final thoughts that you wanted to mention? I mean, I know we were just sort of randomly picking at some things that you've talked about in the past, but anything else you wanted to throw out there? Gosh, you, you give me that over. I know it's like, it's like we, totally we, wide open. So we covered. So, so I'm yeah. really excited about this, this quote because, um, it's probably the only one that I can attribute to me that I, I came up with. I shared it in the, the keynote. I think I have it in the hack your career talk too. But uh, I will close with it because I think it's so realistic and it summarizes my philosophy in a very simplistic way. I do feel like life is going up the down escalator, right? So if you stand still, you fall behind. I think we should 
always be changing. That doesn't mean we're always working harder. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we're always getting more stress or having more fear. But what it means is that when I meet someone that I haven't seen in several months, I don't want to flash my not much club card. Hey, what's new? Not much. I want to <laughs> always have something new. I think that's what <laughs> I what that. makes life exciting. It's too easy yeah. to get stuck into routine. And there's too much opportunity not to have to be in that that routine. Yeah. So if there's anything that I think summarizes or boils down everything I say, just always take each week and figure out how can I take a step forward this week and not just be in the same spot. And you can do that every day. You can do that every week, every month. And if you start to get in that mindset and that habit, you'll get to the point where you're blown away when you look back and say, wow, my life today doesn't look anything like it did five years ago. Yeah. And that's an active decision. And maybe, you know, some people just want it to be, it's in a place they want to be and, and that's okay. But I think most people thrive off, off change and discovering new things. And, and it's something that changing your mind, we talked about that can, can open up those opportunities. That's awesome advice. Very cool. Okay. Carl, what do you have for the app of the week? Uh, there's some really good basic tools that come on operating systems like notepad ms paint stuff like that uh they're great to use because you can just quick go in and out and do something and they become very familiar but i know uh sometimes you're not always on your host operating system if you switch to a mac or something and you're missing ms paint well today's app of the week is for you go to jspaint.app and somebody has faithfully (laughs) created ms paint in JavaScript. And it's instant. It like loaded instantly too. Yeah. Which I guess it should, but I mean, I, I don't know. I might, maybe I'm just cynical these days, but like so much crap is just like, you got to sit there and wait for it. It just came up like instantly. So that was super cool. Yeah. So it's not a huge tip. It's not something I expect people to use, but it, it's a really cool um, use of technology. And if you do use MS paint um, all the time, uh, you know what? If you kind of switch and you're on a friend's laptop or something like that, or uh, you're over at somebody's house and all they have is Chromebooks, there you go. JSPaint.app. This solved a problem that I just didn't have. Nice. Very cool. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Uh, and then, Jeremy, we have a, a game that we play on this with our on the show with our guests. So I got a question for you. Would you, would you rather only be able to whisper or only be able to shout? Only be able to whisper. Really? I guess that, that's more practical. I was just wondering if you were like more like, I feel let's like get out someone, there and do this. If someone really wants to hear what I have to say, they're, they'll be willing to lean in for the whisper. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because like the shouting, I guess, would get really weird. <laughs> the, the shouting feels more invasive. You're watching a movie and you're like, this is the good part. <laughs> Here's how Avengers end. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, man. Have you seen it, by the way? No uh, I have not, not yet. I so. saw it. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like awesome. I, I guess I can't say anything. So <laughs> otherwise I've heard we're going to get look out for the end though. Uh, <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah. Just stay the whole way through the movie, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I should. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it, it's on the list, but I've never been a, a fan of fighting crowds on premiere nights. I'm like, it's still the same movie two weeks later. I don't have a feed that, people dump spoilers into so it's yeah. brand new to me okay and uh yeah so so my 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 son wanted me to go so we went on tuesday which i think it opened last friday thursday, thursday. La- last thursday so i we didn't go very 
uh, long after, and I heard it made like $1.2 billion or something. Wow. And uh, so anyway, I buy tickets online because I'm like, I have to get, you know, I heard people can't get tickets for this thing. So I buy five o'clock tickets. We show up and like the entire half of the theater is all end game, right? It's just different times. And I see yeah. it and it says four o'clock and it's like, Oh, it's four ten right now. So I'm like, I'm just going to walk in and check it out. So I walk in, I'm, you know, it's of course the previews or whatever. So I walk in to look and there's like plenty of places to sit. So we, wow. we, we sit down, my son, he's 14. He's just funny. Cause he's just like, are we allowed to do this? Aren't our tickets for five o'clock? And like, <laughs> there's empty seats. Like they don't, why would they care at all? Like maybe right. if it was completely full or something. But, uh, yeah, so we actually had really great seats and, uh, so we had zero issues fighting crowds. I mean, there were no crowds at all. So yeah. I don't know. Well, that's, uh, one of the, the nice things about living in the burbs like I do too, is it yeah. doesn't get as, as crazy as like the downtown main. Well, exactly. Theater, so. Maybe if you're in like the Seattle, I bet you the Seattle area is still probably crazy, but like, yeah, for me, we went, uh, the, the reason I mentioned Tuesday is it's $5 movie night. So we saw Endgame for $5 a piece. Awesome. And, it, and it wasn't busy, which the theater is always busier on Tuesday nights because of that. And then all the popcorn and everything was, uh, was discounted. So, so it was, it was a good $5 experience. movies, discount popcorn sold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was really surprised, but anyway, that sums up this episode. So Jeremy, where can people find you? Uh, it's pretty easy. All you have to do is get the spelling of my last name, right? It's Jeremy. Last name is Lickness, which is Lickness without the C. So it's L I K. N-E-S-S. But you can find me on Twitter, at Jeremy Lickness. I keep my signal to noise ratio high, which means I don't do a lot of, oh, yeah, I just uh, stub my toe in the backyard type things. It's fine for people to report that if they want to. I focus on technology. Yeah, I enjoy and, making those tweets, okay? Sorry. <laughs> yep, and, and you do you. I'll be genuinely me. And, but at uh, least so, you so, post so, the video with it, Jason. <laughs> yeah. There you, there you go. So so Twitter's the best place, and then my blog is just blog.jeremylickness.com. Okay, that's pretty simple. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ticket. So Jeremy, thank you for coming on here and talking to us about all of your experience. And I think this is just great advice for anybody starting out or for anybody who's even been in the business. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was great. 